when you know God is proud of you, uh, that's the most, it's like, that means the most. Because he's like uh, our Heavenly Father. So to know that your Heavenly Father is proud of you is a big deal. But to know that there are people that are side by side of you, that believe in the same things that you do, that are willing to lay themselves down in order to bring others up, there's nothing more in serving God that has empowered me to keep going. And I'm so thankful. And on here, you saw from one year to seven years. Because a deacon isn't someone you look at and you say, let's put this person in some sort of position where everyone can see them and, and we'll give them special name tags or special chairs or any of that stuff. It's you look around and the Holy Spirit kind of shows you what people are already doing. Because positions of leadership within a church, they're never positions, they're dispositions. It's sort of what God is doing in you. And I guarantee you, if you ask any of these people that are up here, um, what God is doing in their life, it would be something like this. I learn more about who I am and who, I'm. as I serve, I'm the one that's blessed. It's kind of like if you want to grow in your faith, serve God and serve people. It's an amazing thing. This deacon, I'm going to tell you guys my goal. It's for everybody in our church to stand on this stage and represent the bridge as a deacon or deaconess of the church. Because once you're a deacon, it's not like, okay, boom, you're a deacon and now you're not. No, you're always growing and always serving. These are our current deacons and we're so proud of them and thankful for them. So. Let's move on to the next part of our morning. We're going to um, do our reading. So I'm going to invite Dave to come up and read this morning. Will you guys welcome him up? We're going to be reading from Philippians 2:19 to 30. If you would like to read along in your Bible, otherwise we have the words up there. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the, in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on, not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for that amazing round of applause. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that's not just words off a page that we read, but it's a voice from heaven that we hear. We ask that we would hear you clearly this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us, lead us, reveal you. Reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now remember, the book of Philippians is a letter. Paul is writing a letter. When you read it, has anybody been reading it? Don't lie, we're in church. But if you read it, just to let you know, it takes about 10 minutes to read all four chapters. Maybe 15. 20 if you're slow and reading out loud. But I timed it the other day. It goes pretty quick. 
but it's a letter. We don't read letters in six sections. Paul didn't write six sermons to the Philippians. He wrote a letter. So when you read it, it's really a big collective thought to people that he loves, to his family. He's, he said to them, there's divisions amongst you guys. <clears throat> Does anybody have children? What is the backseat of your car like on a road trip? Do you turn around and say, ah, my heart is sorrowful because there are divisions amongst you. <laughs> when I was a kid, you didn't get in, even get a word. Just a hand came flying back there. <laughs> Mom, she, has, she is deadly with that, with that thing. So as you're reading this letter, there are words that repeat themselves. There are themes that repeat themselves. <clears throat> if you hear repetitive words or repetitive thoughts, here's my encouragement to you. Don't dismiss them and be like, you already said that. Pay attention when you hear repetition because the Holy Spirit in his patience and then he is our good teacher. What do good teachers do? They repeat themselves. The idea is that no matter what we face, we've called this series the Book of Philippians. Jesus is our refuge. The whole idea is that no matter what, he's building a case that no matter what, if you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, if you are his student, his disciple, if you have, the whole idea is that no matter what, we have a safe place, a refuge, a secure place where we don't have to be worried about, overly worried about the things in our life that we can always come to this baseline of God is good. God is, remember Paul's in jail and he's encouraging his friends, but he's not doing it out of a place of empty words or flattery. He's sharing his experience with the people that he loves the most, with his family. The title of this morning's message, I've gone back and forth on it a hundred times, um, but I'm going to call it this. The Way Home. Subtitle, The Power of Our Relationships. See, refuge, another word for refuge is home. The place that we, I, we were camping this week in our trailer, so part of me is like, home is where you park it, bro. But that's not true. Home is your center, uh, the place you launch out from. It can be where you park it in your sprinter van or your trailer or your tent. We are, as the Bible calls us, camping along the way in this life. We are sojourners, which is a Bible word for campers, meaning like what C.S. Lewis says, our, we will never feel truly at home until we're forever with the Lord. But there's an aspect of that home for those of us who walk with Jesus that we already are with the Lord. And there is a refuge, a home, a home base in him. So the way home, the power of relationships. Paul, after this, is going to talk about himself. We'll look at that next week. But I just want to say this. Paul knew what he wanted for his life. I think you can get a glimpse of it down in chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says this about himself. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus said in John chapter 17 that he goes, now this is eternal life, that they know the only true God and, and Jesus his son whom you've sent. That's salvation. People are like, what does it mean to be saved? Jesus says, to know God and know his son. Well, what? You mean just to like know that he exists? To know him? This word know 
is this, it's a tangible word. I know what my children's hands feel like because I've held them so many times. This is the word, it's an intimate word. It, it means to have seen, you can verify, you can, you can bet on it, to have experience with, to know God. And this is what Paul says, I, that's what I want for my life. I want to know God. And then he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life to bring dead things to life, to help you to live a, a transformed life, the new you. The Holy Spirit does that. The old you, you lay it down at the foot of the cross. Jesus forgives our sin and he raises us to new life. We just had a baptism two weeks ago. It was awesome. It's, it's people saying, I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to follow him with my life and I want the world to know it. So they are baptized. We lay down in the water symbolizing our death to our old life. We are buried, we're held under. If you're there, I hold people down for a long time. Especially if they're like rotten sinners, you know? It's like the more, I'm just kidding. We're all, we're all rotten sinners, amen? Amen. So we're laying, that's such a pastoral thing to say. I just said rotten sinner from the pulpit. One for me. And then you're raised to new life. This life I live, I no longer live for myself. I live for Christ. I am raised to new life. That's what Paul says. He's like, that's what I want for me. Even if I have to participate in his sufferings, I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection. You know what Paul wanted for his life? He wanted humility, not pride. But the pathway to be with Jesus can be a very humbling journey. It's one thing to humble yourself. It's another thing to be humbled by life's circumstances, by hardships. Life is full of things that when we face them, they give us the opportunity to either be filled with pride or humility. And like we talked about last week, humility is what we need. So here's what we're going to do with this text. I want to give you a couple of summary statements and then we'll go through. I think what Paul is saying here, he's getting to the place where he's like, this is what I want for me. But he's saying, and in this process of coming to this place, I want to talk about how God has gotten me here. The way home. The way or the way forward. How do we move forward in life? I want to say it like this. The way forward is best traveled with others. There are so many of us in our world, in our city, let's just zoom it in, in our church. You just, you're really lonely. At the end of the day, you spend a lot of time alone. You don't know if there's anyone that you can share yourself with for maybe fear that you'll freak them out and they'll leave. I've been there. This is my home address sometimes. Don't let people know who you really are because they'll, you know, they'll uh, not like you as much as you want them to or as much as they used to or if they, all of that stuff. But the epidemic of loneliness is crazy in our world and we're not designed to be that way. The way forward is best traveled with others. Now, I want to caveat this by saying sometimes I can look back on my life and think of a few times where I wanted others to be there for me. I wanted someone to say something to me and looking back, I believe that this is the case. I was looking for, for something in someone that God wanted to show me about himself. Sometimes God will get you so alone that the only voice you hear is his. But I would say generally in the body of Christ, 
which is what the church is called. Hands, feet, arms, ligaments, some, some parts visible, some parts not visible, all very crucial. The way forward is best traveled together. The people you surround yourself with will have an impact on who you become. Every parent right now is like, amen, I tell my kids that all the time. I remember being told that all the time by, well, when you're a kid, anyone who's over like the age of 20, they're just an old person. I remember old people telling me, be careful who you hang out with, you'll be like them. And I was like, what do you know, old person? And now I'm old and I say all the old person things. I tell kids like, hey, you can choose to be, you can choose to lead your group of friends. You can choose to be different. You don't have to, because who you hang around with will have an impact on you. How do I know that? Because I've watched it happen in my own life, for good and for bad. Surrounding yourself with the people who exemplify the mindset and the attitude. Remember Paul said, have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And then he says at the end of these verses, surround yourself and honor people like this. Surround yourself who have the mindset, the attitude, or the tone of life that you want more of in your own. You know, the word mentorship in Christian circles, like in church circles, it's a pretty new thing, that, that particular word. The word discipleship has been around a long time. It means to come under someone else's experience and training, teaching, but it's not just what they say. The Jewish, um, when they had rabbis and they were rabbis' disciples, it means that you came in, you walked like them. It wasn't just what they said. You, you adopted their manner of life. There was a, um, a more holistic, whole person it's not just what they say, it's who they are. Well, now in our culture, you can, you can separate who you are from what you say. Say all these things for years and years and years, and people are like, yeah, and then something comes out about who you are, and it almost like disqualifies everything you said. It's easy to separate who we are from what we say, especially from people that are far away. But take someone that is close to you, you're like a family member. They, can they really separate who they are from what they say? Not really. Kids read through. That's why the saying sit, came to parents, like somewhere, it's like, do as I say, not as I do. Like you can separate it, but part, what you do is going to have an impact on people that are close to you. But something that I was encouraged to do as a young guy that I think made a lot of difference. It made a lot of hurts along the way. But God used it ultimately to bring me closer to him is that I found people in my vicinity that had traits and to a tone of their life, a manner of their life that I wanted to see more of in mine. And I just sort of hung around them as much as I could. And now I'm at the place where I still do that, by the way, all the time. I see, it doesn't matter if someone's older than me or younger than me. If, they, if people have qualities in their life that I see, I'm like, I need to have lunch with that person. I wanna hang out with that person. I wanna know about them. Because attitudes preach louder than words every time. That's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, but in your hearts, maybe some of you have heard this scripture, it says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You ever heard that verse before? A lot of people use this for like an apologetics verse. Be ready to tell people why the Bible is true and what they're doing is not. It's like this apologetics, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an attitude, a manner 
It, says, it doesn't say, not for the doctrine within you, not for the opinion within you, but for the hope within you. Hope is an attitude. It's a direction of life. Hope in the Bible means an earnest expectation. You're living as if something is going to happen. People with hope in God live as if God is going to make all things right, that he is working all things together for good, that it's not just about me, it's about others, and I am part of a body. It's, there's so many things, but there's a manner of life. Because when we face hard times, the natural response for all of us, and some of us are really prone to this, is to go straight to pointing out the bad. When life is hard, the hardship rises to the top. And we're like, here's what's hard. Here's what's bad. And when you're alone and you're surrounded with other people who focus on the bad, you can lose the good altogether. Life just becomes bad. If you point out bad long enough and often enough, it becomes impossible to remember the good. But Proverbs 13.20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You want to you wanna learn? You want to grow? Do you want to have more joy? Do you want to have more of a refuge? Do you want to be less affected by some of the stuff going on in the world because God so has a hold of your heart? Find people who also are looking for that in their own lives and surround yourself with them. So who do you surround yourself? Or how about this? Who surrounds themselves with you? So here's kind of the two thoughts. The people you surround yourself with will have an impact on who you become. And oftentimes God shows you, oftentimes God shows us he is with us by sending people to us. That's what Paul is saying. Oftentimes God shows that he is with us. God, where are you? But if we look around, God will show us that he's with us by the people he sends to us. All right, we're given two examples of people in Paul's life that God used to encourage him personally in his own journey because he needed it. Actually, if you read Paul's letters, he was the most connected dude in the New Testament other than Jesus. But read the end of any of his letters. It's like a high-five fest. Make sure you say what up to these people. And you guys need to know those guys. And, and Phoebe, how do we, so we had men deacons standing up here. One of our tough questions last week was, what, can women be deacons in, in leadership? And the answer was like, yeah, Romans 16. Greet Phoebe, a deaconess of the church. He's like, honor people like this. You need to know them. People encouraged him personally in his own journey and encouraged others, others in theirs. All right, two people. First one is this, Paul's son in the faith. His name is Timothy. Pick it back up in verse 19. I hope in the Lord, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. It's easy to jump over this stuff because Paul was like, Here's Timothy, here's Epaphroditus, here's what's going on with me, here's the doctrinal statement that you kind of get at the end of Philippians where he says, I have learned the secret, I've learned to have a lot or little, but I can do all things through Christ, strengthens, through Christ who strengthens me. But you know how Paul got there? From strength from the Lord by people that were with him. This is what he says about Timothy. I have no one else like him. 
Paul had been with lots of people over the years of his journeys, planting churches. He was super connected, but there was something special about Timothy. I think what it is is Timothy was the person that Paul could send in his place. Have you ever had someone like that? Where you want to go, but you can't. But you're like, that's okay. If I can't be there, we'll send them. If they're there, it'll be dialed in. I feel that way about my wife. Actually, when you see something in certain people, you're like, oh, they'll be better anyways. I'm like, if Steph is there, boom. You know what Steph would say? She would say, if we're going on a road trip, she's like, I wish everyone could go on a road trip with me because apparently I talk a lot and I keep the vibe going down the road and I make us want to get to our destination. Um, I don't know. Um, at work, have you ever worked with someone where the, an issue comes up and it's kind of your department, but then, and you can't get to it, but you're like, they can get it. They'll, they'll, they'll kill it in a good way. I feel that way about our deacons. You know, I used to not feel that way when I was like an assistant pastor. I always felt like I was like the B team. You show up to something, and they really wanted like the main person to come. But then you show up, and they're like, oh, I, you'll do. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I do my best, you know. But there is this sense of like not as good as like uh, as Paul, but Paul's like, I have no one like him. It actually says about him um, where he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern. When it says no one like him, it actually means kindred spirit or like same soul. Like we're the same, him and me. We've been doing this together a long time. You get him, you're getting the best parts of me. Like a son and a father should be. They wanted the same things. He says this, that there was a genuine concern for their well-being. What did Paul know that Timothy would or wouldn't do? He knew that Timothy wouldn't leverage his leadership or relationships with these people to get what he wanted for him. He knew that it was literally about them and the Lord. He was about helping others succeed. There was a care and an awareness of other people's needs. One of the biggest qualifying traits for ministry, for God wanting to use someone's life in the kingdom, do they care about other people? It says, because everybody looks out for their own interests. But Timothy, man, he, look, he wants what God wants in your heart. He wants the best for you. We would use a term like he is kingdom-minded. It's not about like how do we build this thing, how do we make you better. It's like what is God doing? He had genuine concern. It says he had proven himself. Maybe your translation says proven character. I actually think that is the, the best um, way it says, as you know that he has proven himself. But that word proven, it is used for like medals. It means like tested in battle. Like if you had a sword and you were in a battle and at the end of the battle you were still standing and you looked and your sword was still there, that sword had just been proven in battle. But so would the person. You have been proven in battle. It means reliable, trustworthy. He is a man who had been tested. And he had been recognized and esteemed worthy. You know what the hard part about a proven character is? It takes proving. How do you know that a piece of metal is strong? You whack it against another piece of metal 5,000 times and it's still strong. That's the hard part about a proven character. It takes proving. It takes hardship. He's like, you guys have seen him. I've seen him for years. 
He's gotten knocked down. He's remained humble. He's had the opportunity to get prideful and put people on blast because they did the same to him. But he kept going. I actually think that it affected Timothy's confidence later in life because Paul was like, yo, don't forget who you are. When you get up there, you just send it as the word of God because the gift that God has put in you, you need to stir it up all the time. But he's like, man, I've watched it forever. That's the type of people Paul wanted to surround himself with. As a son with his father, this is where mentorship comes in. He wasn't his son. We don't know anything about Timothy's dad in the Bible other than he was not from a, well, it says that he had been given the word of the Lord from a young, as a young boy, but from his mom and his grandma. Good job, moms and grandmas. We need y'all. But he did what his mentor asked him to do. This is, there's a great division with men, generationally. We think that the old men don't know what's up because they're old. And we think the young guys don't know what's up because they're young. Well, then who knows what's up? Collectively, between all the generations, we have the mind of Christ and what we need. We have the knowledge and the wisdom and in the experience of those that have gone before us. And we have the zeal, the muscles of the young. And then if you're like 45, you're just sort of perfect. Not really. We realize we get here in the middle and we're like, oh my gosh, I need those that have gone before me and we need those that have come before. But do you know how you gain the knowledge and the experience of those that have gone before you? Listen. Do what they say. You want to get promoted at work? Do what you're asked to do and do a good job. That's what Paul is saying with the Timothy. He is like, man, we would do stuff. Paul, was the, he was a leader. Timothy wanted to be with him. Paul came. Paul saw gifting in Timothy. And he sent Timothy. He was going to send him. He's like, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? You know what Timothy did a lot? He said yes. I want to say to the young guys in this room, the young people in this room, I was encouraged as a young dude when someone saw a gift, a potential calling on my life. This is what he said to me. He goes, you need to say yes to everything you're asked to do. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I left that conversation like that. It's the worst advice I've ever been given. But he was like, don't ever say no to an opportunity to teach. And I was like, okay. Then you get asked to teach in some pretty crazy, you get, you get put into crazy situations, but you kind of live like, I want to ask. I want to say yes to things. And then you come and you find yourself saying the same thing, say yes a lot. Timothy said yes a lot. Personally, as I was looking at all this this week, it made me think about my sons. It made me think like when I ask them to do something and then I go away and then I come back and it's done. It empowers me to place more under their care. We're going to be driving soon. You know who I would send any of you to Mount Baker on the stormiest of days with one of my boys, and I would be confident. I'll be like, you stick with them, you'll be fine. They will lead you around. They won't put you in anything over your head. They got your back. How do I know? I've been with them so many times, and that's been our experience. Do you guys see that this is what we're, this is with the kingdom of God. Paul's like, you stick with Timothy. I've been doing, he's been doing this a long time. You just, you see, he's got you. It encourages me personally to entrust more things under their care. And the biggest thing that we want to entrust young people with is the kingdom of God. That's why Paul said to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust these things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Don't keep it secret. Empower others. As you have been a son with your father, you at some point will be a father to younger people. Look to empower people, not keep them closed off from stuff. The other, um, so the goal is to not keep things from the next generation, but to entrust them with everything. Timothy put himself under Paul's instruction and put himself out there for God's work. And he will be the next generation leader. Pretty sweet. That was his son in the faith. You know, I've had a few fathers in the faith. Dudes that have gone before me. I was told so much. One of the people that I have always related to the most in the Bible is Timothy. Because I always thought of myself as like that 20-year-old kid that just gave his life to Jesus, that really felt called to use his life to give the gospel, but didn't really know that much about the Bible. Didn't really know enough to give to others. And so I spent so much of my life being a learner. As a matter of fact, I don't really surround myself with people, bring them in, unless they're learners too. It's one of the main qualifying things that I have in my life, people that come in and I'm walking with. Are they learners or are they know-it-alls? If they're learners, access, because I'm a learner. But I've always been with this Timothy thing. And I remember years ago, I was praying. I was like, Lord, I feel like I've had some fathers in the faith. I really would like a brother. And I didn't know what that looked like, but this is in my mind as I was thinking about it. It looked like someone who wasn't 30 years down the road from me, but someone who was around. I was like, an older brother would be good, younger brother, whatever, but someone who's, in my mind, is like someone who's where I'm at. Someone who gets excited, too, who doesn't know all this stuff either, but they're willing to do it anyways. And you know who God introduced me to? Brian Kelly. Brian came up here and he was part of a team that actually planted this church. And they left a few years in. But, but Brian, God bless him, because he drives me crazy. But he's like a brother does. And it was like there was this group of people that were about where I'm at. And I could see what it is to not have it all figured out and see what it is like. We don't have to worry about if we're going to fail because we're entrust, We're like giving people the message of God's grace and we're teaching the Bible and we're building a church community. This was all built from ground zero and God is still building. But I remember when I met a brother, brothers, I think about Michael, think about Andrew. I mean, ben, like the people that have been around kind of since the church started and then people that have been here a year or less, look, Brothers, God's been answering that prayer over and over. Paul's going to talk about a brother. He said a son, he said, here's my brother, verse 25. But I, so last thing he says about Timothy, I want to send him to you. And he goes, and I will send him to you as soon as I know how it goes with me. He needed him for him. He just says this, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Who's Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus is the guy that the Philippians sent to Paul to, give, to, to encourage him, to take him some money, we learn in other places, but to come see him and pass on hugs you know, like when you say, yo, give him a hug for me. Epaphroditus was the one that they told. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed or anxious. There's anxiety because you heard he was ill. He was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him 
and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's in jail, and then they send someone to come see him, and then the person comes and sees him and gets sick and dies, and he's been like, dude, I can't even... Verse 28, therefore I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus, you know what that word means? It's not a, it's not a Jewish name. It means from Aphrodite. It has multiple meanings, actually. Um, it also means um, cheer giver. Biblical names had a uh, kind of more importance than Jason. Although Jason means, uh, what is my, I'm forgetting. Anyways, my mom used to tell me all the time, and I'm forgetting. Jason. It means handsome leader, she would say. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. <laughs> Epaphrodi uh, Epaphroditus means the charming one descended from Aphrodite. That's not a Christian thing. Timothy was trained in the scripture since he was young. Epaphroditus came to faith later in life. He came to faith in the church, probably in Philippi, that Paul planted and had been raised up as a leader in the church because of who he was. Because God doesn't make us, even the things in our life that we use for bad before we meet God, God redeems those things and he can use for good. I used to be the best party planner before I came to faith. People wanted to know where the party was at, I got called. Because I had connections and I would get everything but God is just like, yeah, you were just using that to serve yourself. Now I want you to use all of that stuff to serve me. Epaphroditus was like fun. He was the person that you wanted to send. So-and-so's down. Who should we send? Send him. He makes me laugh every time he's here. He brings a tone, a mood to the room. He came to faith different, uh, later in life. He had a much different upbringing than Paul. He wasn't the same as Paul. He was different, but he said, that's my brother. Maybe he didn't have as much Old Testament knowledge. He didn't know all the Bible verses. He didn't know a lot of the customs. He just knew the power of being born into a relationship with Jesus, to be forgiven of where you've been and entrusted with the keys to the kingdom of heaven by Jesus himself, and he just, that was just sort of good enough for him. I love people when you meet them and they're like, look, I don't know all the stuff, but I know Jesus loves me, and I know that he has forgiven me, and I know that he is with me, and I know that he will guide me, and he gives me joy, and he gives me strength. Those people are so fun. I don't care if you've been a believer for five minutes or 50 years. I want to hang out with the person who's the learner, who's striving after the things of the Lord. He's brother. Brother means different but equal. Coworker. Coworker. Different jobs, same boss. We don't have to do the same thing that so-and-so does. That's what they do. We'll do this because this is what we do. Not the same as Paul. Not the same as Timothy. Fellow soldier. There's a side-by-sideness side-by-sideness, fighting for the same things. And the encourager. Paul didn't need answers in the prison. He didn't need lawyers in prison. He needed encouragement in prison. Paphroditus is whom they sent. An encourager. You know, there's another proverb I was thinking about this week that I want to give to you because I've used it a lot in my own life. It says this, Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. 
You know the best thing that an encourager has? They sort of know what button to push to lift your spirit. Even when you don't know what's going on in your own life, and it's hard to put words to it, it says, it says the purposes of a person's heart, they're deep waters. But a person with understanding or discernment, they know how to draw those waters out. A good counselor, a good therapist, a good friend who hears what you're going through, and they, they may not give you answers. They might even say you're wrong, but they do it in a way that lifts your heart. You know, Paul needed that as much as anybody. Some people in our lives will only get in spurts. A day here, a day there. Paul got Epaphroditus for a minute, and then he sent him back. Epaphroditus was torn, by the way. He wanted to be with Paul. He was a people person. But he wanted to be back home with his friends. Like, he liked his adventure in Rome. He was seeing Paul. It was awesome. But he was, like, homesick. He's the person who, no matter where he was, thought about maybe there was someone else he should, somewhere else he should be. We would tell those person, like, hey, just settle down and enjoy it. But they're like, oh, my gosh, I wonder how they're doing. I can't wait to go see them. Van life, for sure. But back then, you had to walk, so it took a while. Some people, we only get in spurts. I think the Lord would have us say, just enjoy them while you have them. I've had some relationships like that. It's easy to be like, man, why did, why did they go? Why couldn't we stay? Why couldn't it stay like this? But enjoy them, celebrate them, and learn from them. Okay, cool. We talked about two relationships. What's the point? Here's the point. I'm going to hang it up. We're going to be done. But I think as I was reading this, and I wanted to go through each of those traits, because I think the Lord is, wants us to know this. I want to speak to, to four things. I want to speak to the Holy Spirit in each of you. For those of you that have the Holy Spirit, who have asked the Holy Spirit to come in and take residence and lead your life, I want to speak to the Holy Spirit in you because this is the reality. You are the person that God sends in his stead. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus came and he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do to the Father. And he says, I was with them. Now he says, now be in them as you, be with them as you were with me, that they would have this unity. And not just in them, but through them to those that you will reach. As Paul sent Timothy because he knew that his presence was as good with Timothy. Did you know that you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God, that when God says, whom shall we send? They say, send Tammy. Send Nate. Send Ollie. Send Derek. Do you bring God's attitude and outlook with you when you go? I want to speak to the Paul in you. There will be hardships. You won't even sign up for them. They're just going to come along. And we'll have to be like, man, why is this happening? To the Paul in you, who are you pouring yourself into? There are too many people living for themselves and not sharing what they know with others. Here's the reason. We get stuff in a job, and we're like, bro, it took me 15 years to get here. Be like, I'm going to share it with this kid coming along. I got to protect what I got. But to the person that's secure enough to be like, man, I'm, I believe God's going to take care of me. I'm going to share what I've learned with others. Let me speak to the older, just from a man's point of view, the older guys in this room. Um, I think we have a special thing here um, of the older pouring into the younger. Not just in age, but the more people that are more mature been down the road a little bit longer. Who are you pouring your life into to carry this thing on? To the Timothy in you. Who's pouring their life into you? 
Have you come, gotten to the point where you don't learn anymore, you just tell? You can only tell so much before you tell it all and then realize, man, I still got a lot to learn. Are you coachable? It's one of the things we look at with people that, serve, that I serve alongside with here at church. Do you say yes a lot? Are you a no person? And lastly, to the Epaphroditus in you. You are unique in the way that God has made you. You're actually a gift. It's a trip to think about because maybe you just think of yourself as a, a mess. But you're actually a gift. Are you sharing your gift with others? Actually, is your presence a gift? Or is it a burden? I think that there's an amazing amount of unity when we are walking with people in our life that are different than us, but that want the same things. They bring out the best in us. We bring out the best in others. Paul was saying, I have a refuge in friendships like this. That's what I want more of at this place, and I hope that that's uh, what you want as well. Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's sing this last song together, and then uh, we'll shut this Sunday down. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, the closeness of these friendships. It made me think about my own life, and I thank you for the people that you have that bring me encouragement, and um, I'm believing, Lord, that you do the same through me to them. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to help us grow in this place, that we would know that we are needed here, that we are welcome here, and that we have something to share here. Lord, we want to sing this last song to you uh, just as a response of worship. We ask you would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>